Today we begin a new sermon series based on the book of Philippians called Joy for the Journey. Now, uh, this week we talked a little bit about it in my office, uh, Pierce and Dan and I, and you know, I said, how many times do you ever like to just take a drive somewhere? And, and he said, yeah, I, and Pierce, this is Pierce answering, he says, yeah, and that's what he's doing, he's taking a little trip this weekend. But uh, he said, you know, especially if I don't have a real set time to get there where I can just enjoy the journey, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I'm thinking, I haven't done that very often. Usually, uh, I've got to get there, and, I, and Brenda knows we don't stop to go to the bathroom. We, we don't do anything like that until, you know, I, I'm, my eyeballs are floating backwards, and then maybe we will stop. But um, the more we had that conversation, I think the joy uh, that comes in the journey is not only maybe the leisurely route, it's knowing the destination, knowing where you're going is going to be a really great place, and then also the people that are going on the journey with you. Because we've all taken car rides with the guy or the gal who has a radio station or bad breath or whatever you don't want to smell or you don't want to listen to. Uh, and it's more fun to go with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your, your loved one in the car uh, and get to that place you're wanting to go to. So today um, we draw on the word joy in the book of Philippians because throughout... Uh, biblical scholarly work, uh, this is known as the joy epistle. Maybe you've never referred to it as that, but, but Paul is writing in, from Rome in prison, and 15 times, at least 15 times, he uses various, various words to describe his joy, his excitement, his happiness with this congregation based in Philippi. So, as I was pondering that and trying, I hope I think somewhat like you think, and maybe I'm totally crazy and none of you think like I am, or I do, but it begs the question, what brings you joy? If you're going to talk about joy, what brings you joy? And I thought about just having you raise your hand and tell me what brings you joy. In fact, earlier when I was planning this sermon series, I thought I would send a request to everyone and have them do a video of themselves that we could play on what brings you joy. But then some of you wouldn't do that or some of you wouldn't want them played. So here's a video that might help you focus on what some people consider that brings them joy. <laughs> and you can applaud if you agree. Amen to that, yeah. Now you're afraid to applaud. No one, no one's applauding with me.
homemade sushi. I'm coming to your house. Wow. But no cars, no airplanes, no Tex-Mex food? Surely that's an incomplete video, right? Or at least in some of our opinions. And then I got to think about that. No prayer, no Bible study, no worship. Could it be we're searching for joy in the wrong places? Today we'll find that we are all in a partnership of joy. And we'll be looking at just the first five verses of the first chapter of Philippians. This is one of four prison letters that Paul wrote, the others being Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians. It was a church that Paul had founded in his second missionary journey, if you want to read about that, in Acts chapter 16. And we'll probably draw on some of those uh, connections in the sermons to come. There he meets a woman named Lydia. That's one of his first converts, his first um, people he reach out, reaches out to. And in this city uh, of Philippi, this Greece, Greek city, um, known at one time for its gold mines... Philip II, the father of um, Alexander the Great, changed the name to, named it after himself. Not, nothing like coming into a town and go, let's call it Cliffville, you know. He calls it Philippi after himself. But by the time that uh, Paul visited, the gold mines had long since dried up. Uh, it was the site of a historic battle. Uh, you'll remember your Julius Caesar, A2 Brute. Isn't that Julius Caesar? Or is that something else I remember from some time? When those who persecuted uh, and killed Julius Caesar, there was a battle at Philippi. And because of that battle, and, and those who had tried to oust Caesar uh, were victorious. Those who um, tried to oust were defeated. Uh, that's by Mark Anthony, and uh, I think I just lost the other one in my memory bank. But in any event, there were lots of military veterans who then stayed in that town. And lots of active duty uh, military people, if you will. So it's like an ancient San Antonio. Good places to eat. Uh, some money still left there because you'll know, remember Lydia, she was a seller of what? Purple... Your royal garments, if you will. So this is a town that had some wealth. And Paul loved this congregation. He had visited there in early, like 51, 52 AD. And this is now about 10 years later, while he's being imprisoned because of his uh, faith, that he writes them uh, and tells them thank you. And in fact, he uh, accompanies his letter with a man named Epaphroditus to, to send him back. This church had helped him financially. They'd helped him spiritually by praying for him. And they'd helped him physically with sending a worker for him. And you'll know as we read in the second chapter of this book, uh, Epaphroditus uh, gets so sick he almost dies. And now Paul is sending him back with this letter. So let me read for you, and I'll go slowly because I'm only taking, in fact, I may back up next week. There's so much. Dan came into my office today and saw me struggling, and I said, there's so much to unpack in these verses. Uh, these are very familiar words for most of us, 
But uh, let, me, let me just read to you a little bit. Paul and Timothy, you know who Timothy is. This is a young man who's went with him. So he, he is actually the one writing, but he wants to include that T Timothy was a co-laborer, a worker with him. Servants of Christ Jesus. And that word servants, those of you who have done any Greek study, you, the word is doulos. Uh, we use that in our military academies, call them freshmen doulies, slaves if you will. The better word I think that as I were looking at different translations, not only servants, it is one who belongs to someone else. Paul and Timothy are saying they belong to Jesus Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. In other words, not that, and, and I'm not poking any fun at the Catholic Church, but I know um, I was joking with uh, Petey uh, Hoskins this week, and he was talking about his wife, and I said, will you go home and tell her she's a saint to live with you for as many years as she has? But I said, you're not quite a saint yet in the Catholic Church, because I think you've got to do two miracles to be a saint. But uh, he is referring basically to those who are fellow believers, those who have been redeemed because of the blood in Jesus Christ that, that he has shed for them, and they believe in him as their, their Savior. And he goes on and says, to all the saints in Jesus Christ at Philippi, so now you know who he's writing to, together with the overseers and deacons. If you study this passage, many commentators think that that is a scribal edition that would have came years later because the position in churches, in the Christian church of overseer and deacon, had probably not come into existence by 60 or 62 A.D. I'm not going to argue that one with you. There is some... Um, there's another additional reader or additional book I read uh, this week that said perhaps it's referring to in the day, rich people, those who oversaw the government or the cities were known as overseers. And this was obviously a rich city that had supported Paul, so he's giving them some reference or some, you know, praises, if you will. Regardless, he is telling this, he is writing to his church people, his congregation, those he loved. And he says that standard Pauline greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can never get tired of reading that. I sign sometimes my emails, grace and peace. And then after I do it, I think, well, they probably think I'm trying to be like Paul. No, I am not. I, I think that if you understand who Christ Jesus is and have experienced the grace and the peace that he can bring to you, we should be overflowing and sharing that grace and peace with others. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, once again, because I spent a lot of time looking at the original language this week, <clears throat> I thank my God is a translation, well actually it's just I think, Eucharist. How many of you grew up in a Catholic church and the communion was referred to as the Eucharist? That is what you have given thanks for because Christ has made this sacrifice for us. So that's a second use of the word grace that you saw in verse 2, grace and peace. This Eucharist, that charis is that Greek word. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Another translation of the word keros. It's actually kera here. Another variation of grace. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
And I'm going to stop right there. We'll probably read some of those verses next week, but I think that's all I can get through and get to today. So let's pray. Father, as we consider the fact that we are partners in the gospel, partners in joy, remind us that we have a partnership with you and we have a partnership with one another as brothers and sisters in the faith. And sadly, so many times we have been the silent partner. We have failed in the partnership. But let us take the encouragement that Paul gives to this church at Philippi and be reminded of the grace and the peace that we come, have come to know through your son Jesus and transform our silence into loud voices of praise to you. Speak to our hearts in this hour, for I pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, while I poked fun at the definition of some people's, what some people consider to be joy, and if you want to, seriously, if you want to send me what cause, brings you joy in a little selfie or video clip, and if we can use it on Sunday, it maybe is you drinking your coffee or, you know, fishing, hopefully it's not on Sunday morning, or on the golf course, something like that, or your boat or whatever, you know, that's fine. So... Because I know different things will make me smile. That grandchild one, oh man, you got to know that. And that first cup of coffee, when you haven't had it, that'll, make, that'll bring a smile on some of your faces, right? Um, but here, I stumbled on this one this week. And Sam Sto Storms is a pastor in Oklahoma City. Um, should be up there the next slide, guys. You can go to it. Uh, it's also reference to Elizabeth Elliot, who most of you can remember her. She's gone on to be with the Lord, uh, Jim Elliot's wife, who was a missionary and was, was killed. Um, but I like the way, it doesn't really define it, but it kind of explains it. The joy is not the absence of trouble, and I think Elizabeth Elliot said pain or suffering, but the presence of Jesus. Man, I tell you that. That's one of those, if you, uh, my wife does needlepoint, or not, you don't call that needlepoint, it's count across this, right? That's one we need to get a pattern for. Joy is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Jesus. So when you are intent in your relationship with him, it only seems true that joy would be with you. And when you pursue joy in anything but him, not that other things aren't fun and you might, you know, get some satisfaction out of them and make your heart, you're really warm. But true joy is presence, being in the presence of Jesus. So, Paul reminds the Philippians, and he reminds us today, that we are in a partnership or a community with Jesus and with one another. So, it's just kind of, you know, this way and this way, with him and then with one another. He uses the Greek word, and here I know a lot of, I don't know a lot of Greek, but here I am, I know I'm using a lot of Greek, konania. Most of you have heard that word somewhere, right? Konania. What's it mean? What? Love? No. I mean, it could. Fellowship. Community. Partnership. Those words I'm trying to get us to get today. But there are konania, in fact, the, the root word is, is common. Uh, when you went to seminary and Dan and I went to seminary and uh, Pierce, I don't know about his seminary. I have to joke with him a lot. Uh, we use the Konania or, or Kone Greek, which is the common Greek of the day. 
But he uses this word that most of us have heard, and it probably has picked up some other uh, meanings along the way, but it is truly translated as fellowship with relationships of mutual interests. A fellowship of relationships with mutual interests. Paul reminds us that we're all spirit, should all be in a spiritual fellowship, a partnership of joy. D.A. Carson is a New Testament professor, and many of us uh, might have read some of his works in, in our seminary training. He has a book called Basics for Believers, and this one I don't have as a slide, but listen to this one. He says that the heart of true fellowship, or a partnership, is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. I'll read it to you one more time, because I read it to Brenda this morning, I said, you could almost say that about any relationship, whether it's a, a dating, a marriage, a, a business, you know, other kind of things, that the heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity. In other words, putting the vision ahead of yourself into this shared vision. So today, let's focus on two things that make up our partnership of joy, and that is friendship and mission. So here we go, friends. Now I know I wanted to play, you know how we do that song from Friends, but I didn't do that. And then I thought of Cheers, you know, where everybody knows your name, and uh, well, I could just tell you some of that. But Paul is writing a letter to his friends. And I want to remind you, as I read one commentator this week, that this book is not a book, it's a letter. Somewhere along the years, as we ha this is the overall book, and we say it's made up of how many? 60 books, but really some of them are letters, and Paul wrote letters, often translated, or we use the word epistles. But this is a letter written to a congregation that he helped start. It's 10 years down the road, and he's wanting to encourage them. And as with any letter, if you got a letter from a friend that you hadn't talked to in 10 years, would you read just the first five verses of it and put it away, or would you read the whole thing? How many of you can't read? You just... Uh... Well, I mean, think about it. I think you would read it from beginning to end, unless it was so long. This thing is only four chapters. And one of my challenges that I'm going to give you this week, and I, you may hear me say this from week to week, when you go home today, sometime before you come next week, sit down and read aloud the entire letter of Philippians. It will take you, even if you stutter a little bit like me, probably 12, 13, maybe 15 minutes. And as you read, you will recall verses that you've heard in sermons, that you've seen cross-stitch somewhere, that you've seen on Pinterest, that you've seen on the internet, and you will go, wow, the Lord has blessed my socks off one more time because I forgot where that one came from. Or I've heard it, but I never knew where it came from. And that letter will bring you joy just as he intended to bring joy to his friends. Now, in the past, I have introduced you, if you've been here during my tenure as pastor, I've introduced you to various friends, various family members, various parishioners, never in, hopefully never in a negative light, because, you know, the worst thing you know is you talk to the preacher and you become an illustration, and I, I, I pray I've never done that. But my great aunt Juanita, young people, that means that was my mom's aunt, and 
she was born early enough or had children early enough or my mom had children early enough. I knew her very well. So long so, my Aunt Juanita was sending me birthday cards and letters when I was stationed in Korea. So, I mean, as a grown man, she was writing me cards. My great Aunt Juanita. She lost her hearing somewhere around 11 or 12 or 13. Whatever illness was in the day, it caused a problem. She couldn't hear. But she could read lips. And as my dad, who was never one to hold back commentary, would say that when Juanita's in the room, the only time she stops talking is when she takes a breath. She could keep up with every conversation. She could read your lips. She knew exactly what, she was what was going on. But for the one thing for her, because of someone who could not hear, and, and I think about that now as I'm older, never heard her children's voice. But one day in glory she will. She wrote and sent letters and cards. So she was, you know, I think we, don't you today, if you're sending a text message, if it's in all caps, you're like shouting. It's, it's emphasis. She on store-bought cards would underline words, which was almost a faux pas, you know, when, when I was sending cards, or I still send cards, but underlining them now, I do that to my mom and sister. They know it's a tribute to Aunt Juanita. I'm underlining because she's like emphasizing. She couldn't shout it, but she would underline it. So if the uh, greeters that have um, those green bags with you would, would stand up and start handing one per pew, what I'm going to ask you to do, they have in them, uh, these come from Dollar Tree. I bought about 30 of them, I think. I've got more in my office. But if you'll start one on each pew, open it up. I want you to take, take out a thank you card. Paul is giving thanks and talking about joy. And what I would like you to do this week, here, so you, man, you come to church this week, he wants me to read the entire letter of Philippians. And now he's saying he wants me to send a thank you card. I do. I want you to send a thank you card to somebody that's had a spiritual impact on your life. If you've got Sunday school teachers from when you were a kid still living, send them a card. If it's your mom and dad who drug you to church and now you see the joy that can come from knowing Jesus, send them a card. If it's somebody that used to be a member of this church and I offended them or you offended them or somebody else, send them a card, not because they left, but send them a card because they were part of the team at one time. Maybe you've got a coworker who is a pain in your well, he's a, he's a, yeah, he's a, he or she is awkward to be, uh, difficult to be around. Send them a card and say thank you, not for being a pain, but thank you for your contributions. Maybe you've got a neighbor that you have not said thank you for trimming their lawn so nice it makes yours look bad. Send them a thank you for what they have done. But seriously, think of ways that you can share with someone else and you don't have to write them now. Hopefully you'll write. That's always a problem. Teachers know this. You give anybody a handout while you're still talking. They've, oh, I didn't get that card. I wanted the one that said, you know, with the roses or whatever. But, and there'll be more out there. If you want one after church, you can get enough or whatever. Uh, take two. I don't care. Um, send a card to someone that you might bring joy to their life. Because you thank them. For their relationship with Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul was doing. He wrote a letter that we can read and reread. That reminds us of joy. The joy found in Jesus. That they were now partners of the gospel with him. Let me reread verse 4. In my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. 
I always pray with, some of us pray begrudgingly. Wow. But he says, pray for all of you, and I pray with joy. Why? Because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You know, some people think of joy like it's the flu. If I get joy in my life, Dan, we were singing, when I first started, thought about this, What's the old song? Vacation Bible School, Sunday School. I got the... Where is it? Why is it down in my heart? It needs to be outside, right? You need to let it out a little bit. But some of us think of joy as some bad thing that, you know, maybe if I took the right pill, I would never get it, or I could cure myself of it. And other argues that it's in the gene. You know, it's just a happy person. Her mom was happy. She's always happy. Dad was always happy. He's always happy. You either got it or you don't. But the Bible talks about joy as a choice. Something that we're able to go after. And as an attitude, we can cultivate joy. Philippians 4.4. 4, and I will try not to do this a lot in these sermons. Because so many of them just back each other up. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. If you have a relationship if you have a friend in Jesus, you have joy. Now, how you let that joy shine out, you know, it, it may reflect your true relationship. But having the joy of Jesus in your life, having your faith in him, should somewhat influence the way you live and interact with other people. You know, it is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. If you read Galatians 5, the, I think it's verse 22, it talks about joy. And just like an apple tree bears apples, Christians should produce some of these fruit of the Spirit, and joy would be one of them. God wants you to be joyful. In fact, if you read the Bible and pay attention to who Christ Jesus is, you will start to think that the problem is not that we're too happy, but that we're not happy enough. Friends, thank God for someone in your life. That card could be just that simple. Thank you for being a friend. I know that's a song. <laughs> Friends. Second, mission. And this one is where it really hurts. We as Baptists have been failing for the past few years in our mission of sharing the good news. In fact, last year was the lowest rate of baptisms in the Southern Baptist Convention since World War II. We dropped 4% from the year before. I haven't seen the numbers yet from 2021. We as a church dropped. COVID hit. It hurt a lot of things. I remember my 2020 sermon, January of 2020, Vision 2020, we were going to baptize 20 people. We are less than six right now for... Between the time we calculate, which ends at the end of this month. Baptism Sunday in Southern Baptist life was last week. We had no one to baptize. Had we not shared our faith? Have we failed in our partnership? Is it all because I have failed you, or have we together failed him? C.S. Lewis wrote that friendships are found 
when you say, oh, you too? In other words, you too collect bobby pins? You too collect beanie babies? You too like cars? You too like whatever it is that you do that you think no one else in the world likes and then you meet this person that likes them and you go, oh, I, I can establish a friendship. Well, this partnership, these co-workers of ours, we should be going, you too like to share the gospel? You too like to learn about Jesus? You too want to study his word? And through our friendships that we make, these co-laborers, we can go out and do the mission that Christ has called us to do. But too much of the time, I think that word konania, which means fellowship for Baptist, is eating. You too? <laughs> I mean, it, it gets boiled down to just hanging out. Well, we drink coffee today at Jumpstart. That's a good time. But what did we do as well as a mission? And I know you can say we're building fellowship, we're building community, we're building and encouraging our coworkers. But our mission should be to huddle up and go. Not to hang out and blow. I'll tell you that one more time. Huddle up and go versus just hang out and blow. Well, back when I was at such and such, and that's, you know, I've told you this before. Yeah, he's who comes to mind. It was an African-American chaplain, uh, one of my uh, supervisors early on in my career. He'd been in uh, the Air Force uh, when they had just... It, those of you, Chief, you'll remember, know this. The old-timers who were in the Air Force those first few years, Air Force, yesterday was the Air Force's birthday. Is that right? Was it yesterday? Yeah. Hey, hoorah. hoorah. There you go, Air Force guys. Um, but the Air Force didn't even have a good conduct medal when he was enlisted in the Air Force before he became a chaplain. He got the Army Good Conduct Medal, and he was in the Air Force long enough with that that he actually had a cluster, which looks like, in fact, I'm looking at that guy right down. Did you have an Army good, good Conduct Medal? Ed, did you have Army Good Conduct Medal or was it an Air Force Good Conduct Medal? So he was older than you or he was in before you were. Uh, I, couldn't, I don't know what year they started that. But he still had a rack of ribbons up here. I mean, he had been in Korea during the Korean War. He had a Korean medal on, you know, he, of course, a Vietnam medal. When I came in, almost all the senior officers had uh, Vietnam medals. His ribbon rack went, you know, and then the cross was on top. And, man, I was admiring it one day, and I'm looking at it, you know, sort of envious. You know, the only thing you don't want is a purple heart. And you're looking at it, and you go, man, I sure like to look like that in my uniform. And he says, let me tell you, all that and 50 cents won't buy you a cup of coffee. And that's what it is when we're in church, and all we're doing is gathering around and blowing, and we're not huddling up and going to help other people, to tell other people about Jesus. I'm asking you this week to read Philippians all the way through aloud. You can take turns. Read it to your wife and she can read it to you. Read it to your kids. Kids, take your ear pods out or whatever for a second. At least listen up. Maybe you can read it. Show how well you can read. Read it. It's not, there aren't many big words. Epaphroditus is probably one of the harder words in there. There are a couple other people's names in there that I got tongue-tied on. Read Philippians all the way through. Mail a card of thanks. That was the second thing. With sincerity that you are praying and giving thanks for that person. And then share your faith with one person this week. If you will share your faith with just one person this week, 
you will come back with more joy in your heart than you have today. Because you will see what God can do. Oh, they may turn you away, but you will be emboldened. You'll be encouraged. You will be strengthened that you did the right thing. And God wants you to share the good news of his son, Jesus. So three little things. Read Philippians, send a card, and share your faith with one person. Because we are in a partnership of joy. Stand with me, please, we pray. Our fathers, we come to a time of invitation. I know that there are some here today that feel like they have not ever entered that partnership. And, and Lord, if that's the case, we pray that they might come and respond at this time to ask Christ Jesus into their life, to experience the joy that only he can provide. Nothing that the world can give will ever be better than what Jesus can provide. And Lord, for us, those of us who have become curmudgeons in the faith, those of us who have uh, stopped sharing, stopped caring, stopped writing or stopped inviting, I pray that you might light a fire under us. Help us to share more about what Jesus means to us. And Lord, if there's someone here who just wants to come to these steps and, and have a time of prayer, we have others that will join them and pray with them. So Lord, whatever decision there is, I ask you to let your spirit move as we have this time of invitation. For we pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.